Amen. Now, this is the second Sunday of the new year. And I was wondering how many of you have already broken your resolutions? Nobody? How many of you made? Did you make resolutions? Ah, okay. (laughs) Well, I did really good all week until I put my coat on and put my hand in my pocket and I found some Tootsie Rolls. That blew it. Thought, well, man, what am I going to do with these Tootsie Rolls? I, you know, I can't throw them away. And you know, Randy's got. I've been, I've been avoiding the the chocolate in, in the bowl at the house. I hadn't eaten any of that. Oh, and, and I do really do like Tootsie Rolls. <laughs> so, needless to say, I ate them. And it wouldn't be too bad, except there was probably five there. <laughs> of course, they weren't the big ones. They were just the little ones, you know. They weren't the great big ones, or it'd really be a mess. But anyway. But that was the most popular uh, resolution that everybody makes every year is lose some weight. They overeat at the, ho- at the holidays, which I did. I really overate and overindulged. I know, my clothes tell me that. You know, you get up and you, <clears throat> they're a little snug. You think, oh, yeah, uh-huh. You got your, your lounging clothes you wear all week, and then you get up and get, start putting your regular clothes on to go somewhere and think, uh-oh, uh-oh, I shrunk my clothes. <laughs> Where the dry cleaners shrunk their clothes. Of course, the wives or the husbands, they blame their wives. You shrunk my clothes. There was a lady that walked into the bathroom uh, where their husband was, and he was on the scale weighing himself, and he was sucking in his stomach. <laughs> you know, and his, his wife kind of looked at him, kind of snickered a little bit, thinking to herself, does he think that if he sucks in his stomach, he's going to weigh less? And so she says, you know, that really isn't going to work. He said, oh, yes, it is. It's the only way I can see the numbers. (laughs) So, but anyway, that's kind of, you know, worked for him anyway, but it's kind of funny, and I, you know, kind of feel that way sometimes. But um, we'll get over it. I'm I'm trying not, my husband has has told me no more buying candy. Well, I only buy it when it's on sale. I meant, you know, I went into Honey's, and they had it. Uh, 75% off. Now, how could you resist 75% off on candy bars? Especially when they were Snickers and Milky Ways and all the things that you really like. It was really hard. So, honey, I bought these for you. <laughs> so, anyway, instead of paying $4 a bag, I paid a dollar a bag. Hey, man, I can suffer through a dollar a bag. So, anyway, but now they are, are officially gone, so maybe we can get back to our thing but you know it is valentine's is coming up now i've seen the valentine candy already so anyway but we're it's so easy for us to forget things that we do isn't it i reminded of the man that moved into a retirement community and he was there for a while of course he made a lot of friends and he was attracted to one particular woman there and uh, they spent a lot of time together and she liked him and he liked uh, he liked her a lot and so one night he decided that he was going to propose to her. So he did. Well, the next morning he got up, and he couldn't remember what her answer was. He says, man, I remember I proposed him, but I don't remember what, what the answer was. So he, kind of, in spite of being embarrassed, he went to the lady and asked and said, you know, I'm really embarrassed about this, but I asked you to marry me last night, and I don't remember what your answer was. And she says, oh, thank goodness. She says, I remember saying yes, but I couldn't remember who asked me. (laughs) So that's kind of the way it is with our resolutions and things that we want to do. We 
we are so easy to forget them in a moment of weakness or, of course, they had a good excuse. And I have a good excuse, too, you know. Uh, I can always blame it on my age, see, and that's, that's good. I forgot because I'm getting older. And then when they snicker at you, say, well, when you get older, you'll understand. And then they snicker at you some more, and then one day when they reach your age and it starts happening to them, they're going to, okay, okay, so eventually we get the last laugh. But I don't believe that uh, all, all us, as we get older, we should be succumb to a lot of the things that uh, the world has succumbed to if we remember to pray about them. Have you ever prayed, Lord, keep my mind sharp, keep me healthy as I can be to do your will when I'm in my 80s? Do we do that? We don't. We forget. We don't think about it because when we're younger, we think we're invincible, aren't don't we? I'm immortal when we're young. And then you start getting older and everything you ever hurt in your life, when you get up one morning, all of a sudden you can identify each, each owie that you ever hurt because it lets you know about it. Well, that's the joy of getting older. But I like to say I may get older, but I refuse to grow up. But anyway, there's one resolution that I think that we need to make, not only as a church, but as individuals. And that is to share Christ with the people that we know. That's one resolution we have to make and we have to keep. And we need to because in Matthew 28, 19, it says, Therefore, go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded to you. Now, I'm not talking about going out and forcing our religion down someone's throat because that isn't what the Bible's about. The Bible isn't about religion. If all you have is a religion, then you're going to be very disappointed when you stand before God because that isn't going to get you in. The only thing that's going to get us into heaven is Jesus by accepting him as our personal Savior. And that's it. And that's the good news because I'm glad that I don't have to join a particular religion to get to heaven. I'm glad that I don't have to do so many works in order to get to heaven. Because how do you know when you've done enough? And what if you're not able to do good works? Then what do you do? I'm always amazed at, at, at people that push these works, this works, this works religion on people. I'm amazed about it. Because what about the poor soul that can't do the works? It's like me, if I'm sitting here and I'm God and I said, okay, works is required, and in order for you to get into heaven, you have to run a 25-mile marathon. Unfortunately, I don't have any legs. So then what do you do? You can't run a marathon without legs. So it wouldn't be fair. That'd be kind of crazy, wouldn't it, for God to require that? So many works or so many things that we can do in order to get into heaven when we're not capable of fulfilling it. That'd be crazy. And that's why I like the way God set up the, the way we get into heaven. And that's by accepting Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross. That's all we have to do. We say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I acknowledge that you died on the cross for my sin, and I accept your payment. That's how you get in. And that's all we need to worry about. But after we get to know Jesus, then we want to do things for him. It's not because I have to. I'm not standing up here by, because I have to, that, that I'm afraid that God's going to give me 30 lashes if I don't stand up here and preach his word this morning. But I can't help but preach his word this morning. Because it's, it's when you know God and you, you want to do things for him. It's just natural. I cook meals for my husband occasionally. <laughs> and I fix his, some of the foods that he likes that maybe I don't care that much for. But I do it because I love him. Has nothing to do, I don't have to do it. 
He'd eat whatever I put in front of him. I opened a can of soup and gave him the can and a spoon. He'd eat it and say, thank you. <laughs> At least he better. <laughs> because it isn't about, it's we want to. We just can't help ourselves. When you love somebody, you just can't help but share the fact that you love someone. When I got engaged the first time, well, when I get, got engaged the second time, third time, I was engaged a lot. Never got married, but... <laughs> I like the engagement part. <laughs> anyway, you couldn't help, you know, you get a ring and you're so excited. Oh, and you notice when you get engaged, you're like this. Oh, hi, how you doing? How you doing? Oh, oh that was so funny. Isn't it amazing how we do that? Why? Because we're, we're, we're proud of that fact that, that we got engaged and somebody, was, somebody actually spent good money to put a ring on your finger. <laughs> but it's something that, that we just can't help but do. We just, a natural thing. And that's what, that's what salvation and the message that we want to preach to other people or show to other people is that God loves them. They don't want us to tell them that God loves us. They want us to show them that God loves us. And this scripture commands us to do it. But in order to share our faith, there's some things that we need to be able to do in order to do that. Because like I said, we don't beat them over the head with the Bible and go up and tell somebody. Unless God tells you, I'm not saying he can't. If God comes up to you and says, I want you to go tell that person and tell them right in their face, say, you're going to hell if you don't change your ways. If God wants me to do that, I'll do that. But I guarantee you, I'm going to make sure it's God. Either that or I'm going to be able to put my running shoes on afterwards. <laughs> So there are times, but generally, there's some things that we need to do if we want to see other people come to Christ. And the first thing we need to do uh, in order to share our faith with others is they have to see Christ in us. They have to be able to see Christ in our lives. If they can't, they aren't going to listen to anything that you say. And there's so many fake people out there and so many imitation things that people want to see the real. And if they can't see Christ in us and in our lives and in our lifestyle and in the things that we do, they're never going to listen to anything that we say. So we have to be able to let them see Christ in us. And our testimony is the best thing that we can have. That's what God's will was. He said to be a witness. He didn't say you go necessarily to go beat up everybody with your religion. He said be a witness. Let your life be the testimony that God lives within you and that your life's changed. When we first got saved, my life changed drastically. And it took, you know, we lost a lot of friends during that period of time, but we did be one set of friends that we had from before we were Christians. They're still our friends, and they got saved. So when you get saved, people are either going to get saved or they're going to turn and say, I don't want you to be my friend no more. So those are the realities of that because of our life. So God wants us, our lives, to be the testimony that we have because our life speaks louder than anything that we can say. The next thing we need to do is be sincere. James 3.17 says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and of good fruit, impartial and sincere. People want to see that we're sincere about our, friend, uh, about our faith. And there's nothing that turns people off more than people that aren't sincere about what they're doing. They're just doing an obligation thing. They know it, and you'll, you know, oh, so i got to go testify to three people today. Okay, hey, you're it. I, you're my obligation today. God loves you. Thank you. Goodbye. God doesn't want it to be like that. We have to have a sincerity in our heart when we're, when we're talking to someone about the Lord. I reminded there was a, there was a story about a lady that uh, traveled about 50 miles away to visit her friend. And she got there, and they were visiting, and, and then she was getting ready to come home. And she'd realized that she'd locked her car, her keys in the car. Now, I don't know how you can do that in this era with uh, the bing, bing, bing when you leave your keys in the car. 
<laughs> That's the only nice thing, I guess. But anyway, she locked the keys to the car and said, oh, no, what am I going to do? So she went in and called her husband long distance and told, her what, told him what had happened. And he was, you know, a little bit upset, to say the least, <laughs> about this. He said, oh, well, you just stay there and I'll come bring, your, bring my keys and we'll get you in. So, okay, so she runs out to the car and, you know, I don't know what she was doing, fussing around like we do, thing, whatever, and tried, happened to try the back door and it was unlocked. And so she ran right back into the house and tried to call her husband again, but it was too late. And so she goes out there and her friend says, well, what are you going to do now? When he, when, when he comes here, he's going to be a little bit upset with you, the fact that he come all this way and the car's unlocked. And she says, I'm going to do what any American red-blooded wife would do. And she locked the door and slammed it. <laughs> That's our nature, isn't it? It's trying to cover up some of the things that we do. <laughs> we don't want anybody to know. <laughs> And that's what we do all the time. We try to cover up our imperfections. But in reality, it's the imperfections that we have sometimes that lets people know that, hey, you don't have to be perfect to be a Christian. And so when we're trying to cover up these imperfections that we have and we try to cover up all the times that we fail and all the times that we stumble, then in reality, we're actually hurting or the people from coming to Christ. Because the world has, a, has an impression of Christians as they're holier-than-thou people, they, they think they're better than you are, and all these things that are going on in their minds, but when they see you and you make a mistake or you do something that isn't, you don't want to do or say something you don't want to do, and you correct yourself and they be able to see that, you, hey, they're no different than I am. Maybe I could be a Christian. Maybe I could do this. Because look at the rewards of being a Christian. Get heaven. You get your sins forgiven. All the guilt's gone. You have a hope of heaven. You have a hope of eternity. Wow, that's a great thing. You have peace in your heart. So that's an appealing thing for the world to want to have. But they don't want to deal with the, what happens if I fail. Because a lot of people think that if you fail, then that's it. You've blown it. And your life's over, so why bother? But that's not the reality of a Christian. And if we try to hide every imperfection that we have, and we wear our masks everywhere we go, and they're not be able to see then they're not going to be able to want to be a Christian either because they can't live like that. And maybe they don't like to live a hypocritical life because don't we hate hypocrites? Now, there's a difference between a hypocrite and, pe and, and people that are just trying to live a righteous life. A hypocrite is somebody that, that says you do one thing and then you go out and do the other thing, do something else, and you try to hide it. That's what a hypocrite is. It isn't somebody that goes out and tries to live a, a righteous life and they fail sometimes. That isn't a hypocrite. You're trying and you're striving. And if you follow me around all of, all day long, you're going to find out I'm not perfect. I know, honey, you're really surprised about that. <laughs> no one is perfect, and we need to understand that. And God didn't expect us to be perfect. If we were perfect, we wouldn't need Jesus. There was only one perfect man, and they killed him. So if you're striving to be perfect, then you're striving to be murdered. <laughs> So anyway, we, don't, we, we need to share our faith with them, but we have to let people see that we're not perfect. And, and that's going to help draw people, people to him. And this church is full of imperfect people. It isn't just me. Get close to anyone in this congregation, you're going to realize we're not perfect. No one here is. And I don't expect people to be perfect. And God doesn't either. That's why he sent Jesus. To share our faith with others, we must have a passionate conviction. If we're not passionate about what we about Christ, then people aren't going to care. 
They're going to think, oh, it's just another religion. Why do we want that? I, I want a religion there's all over the place. We got to have, have a, a passionate, be passionate about it. And when someone is passionate about something, there's a conviction there. And somebody that is <clears throat> with a conviction is better than 99 with, a, with, with an opinion. If you have a conviction about who Christ is and his, your relationship to him, they can't argue with a conviction. Opinions are easy. Everybody has an opinion about things. And some of the opinions may be correct. But convictions, they're, hey, they're a, hard, a lot harder to come back. So if, we have, if we're passionate and we have a conviction about our faith, then people are more apt to listen to what, we're having, what we say. A sign that read in a red salesman, before you try to sell your product, be so convinced of its superiority that when you're finished, people will be more anxious to buy that than you are to sell. That's what we need to do with Christ. We need to be passionate about him, and we have to be so convinced about what a difference that Christ is going to make in people's life that they're going to want him, not turn people away. Now, I know that there's a, there's a certain amount of, uh, what is the word, uh, that people get turned off by over-aggressiveness. There's a certain amount of aggra- aggressiveness that, that, that people have that turns them off. But we, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, about a passionate conviction that we have. Uh, Jeremiah 29 says, His word is in my heart, a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot hold it. <clears throat> now, this kind of conviction is what we, kind of what we need, something that we just cannot help but, but tell the people about Christ. I can't help but do what I do. If I couldn't, I couldn't live with myself because there's, what, when, you, when you have a calling or something on your life and when Christ dwells in your heart, it's something you want to share. You can't help but share it. Just like when you get a new grandbaby. Man, you're running around with that picture in your wallet and you want to show everybody you don't care whether they're interested or not. Man, I'll tell you, if you ever run into some proud grandparents and it wouldn't be so bad one picture, but man, they, they can't see a picture of my grandkid. My new grandkid, you know, so you say yes, and all of a sudden they go, okay, and then, <laughs> because, man, they're passionate about that kid, man. They want, to, they want to show you about that. They're enthused about being a grandma. Well, anyway, hopefully they are, or a grandpa, or even a mom or a dad. Daddies are really passionate about it when they, when they have, a, have a son. Man, they're excited. They're calling everybody and telling everybody about it. That's what we need. We need people to be able to be compassionate or passionate about what they're, what they're doing. Nothing we need to have is a spiritual reliance. We can't share our faith by our own effort. I'm thankful for that. See, Christ Jesus didn't say, go out and be witnesses and do all this kind of stuff without giving you the, the tools to do it. It isn't something that's hard. If I told my kids to vacuum the house and not give them a vacuum cleaner, that'd be crazy, wouldn't it? And then punish them because they couldn't vacuum. It'd be crazy of me as a parent to do that. Well, Jesus did the same thing when he left. He says, I have given you power to be a witness. I have given you the power. But see, we have to accept the power into our life. When we accept him as our Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. And it's his power that wants to come work through us. So we don't have to do about it, do anything about it. We just have to have his love in our heart, and then he provides the opportunities and the things for us to say, and then rely on what he wants to tell us. A lot of times we don't talk to people about the Lord because we're afraid we don't know what to say. And so we don't say anything. 
but we don't realize that if the opportunity's there, that God's going to put the words in our mouth at the time we need them. But see, we want it all packaged up in this pretty little bow so we can do it. Well, the best thing that we have, of course, is our testimony. And the only person that knows your testimony is you. Only you know where you used to be and where God brought you from. So that's the best thing that we have. And you don't need to worry about that. If you have a hard time sharing that, then practice it in the mirror. Practice it in the mirror to yourself. And fine-tune it to where it's, you know, a little more fluent. If not, you don't worry about it. Because I don't have to worry. If someone up and asked me about something that happened in my life last week, I could tell them what happened. I wouldn't have to sit there and get all flustered or whatever about it because the, the reality is I see what happened and I just tell it. And that's what God wants us to do. But if we get in a situation, he says, don't worry about what you're going to say. I'll give you the words to say. But see, we don't trust God enough to do that, so we don't say anything to anyone. But we, God has given us the power and that to do it. <clears throat> it said, uh, John 15, 26 says, but When the Comforter is come, who I send unto you from the Father... Even the spirit of truth which proceeded from the Father, he shall testify of me. See, we don't have to worry about it because that power is going to be in, my, in our lives when we accept Christ as Savior. It's going to be in here. It's just going to, we just got to let it out. And we just got to uh, take advantage of the opportunity that's presented. Uh, John 14, 14 says, You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now that includes people's souls. See, the problem is we as Christians, we don't even pray for people either. And that's the easiest thing that we can do for someone is pray. We all know lost people, unsaved people. There's not a person in here this morning that doesn't know someone that isn't saved. And maybe you're sitting there, you know, I know I need to talk to them, but I haven't been able to, or whatever the circumstances are. You can pray for them. And you don't have to worry about it. Nobody even knows you're doing it. But God knows you're doing it. God knows you're praying for them. And God will answer our prayer. And he doesn't care if you, you bang on heaven's door for somebody's soul. That's what God wants us to do. And when we pray for that person, there's two things that happens. One, he deals with the person you're praying for. And secondly, he deals with you about that person. And he prepares you. And you, don't, you know, just vow in your mind to take, you know, pick somebody. Maybe it's somebody you've never prayed for before. Or maybe you want to be a little more concentrated on one person. Pray for him every day. Pray for them for six months or three months or whatever a certain time frame is. And at the end of that time frame, then say, God, give me an opportunity to talk to them. Because you're building up yourself inside by praying for them. And you're letting God prepare their hearts to receive what you have to say. And it's amazing how that works. But it's amazing how we as Christians, prayer is the last thing we think of. We try to do everything else before we pray. And I don't know why that is. And I'm guilty of it myself. You sit there and something happens, and you first thing we don't matter how am I going to do? What am I going to do? Let's see how can I how can I fix this? How can this work? And we sit there and we start trying to figure things out. Well, the first thing we should do as Christians is pray. Say, God, help me to figure this out, because it ends up being a lot easier to figure out, and I work smoother. And then maybe we won't make the many mistakes we make when we make things because of our own understanding. Well, that'd be a good thing. So that's what we need to do. We need to pray for people. If you don't do anything else for someone, ministering to them or witnessing to them, pray for them. And then you're going to find an opportunity that God's going to allow to come into your life to be able to talk to them. And what's amazing about once you start opening your mouth and the words start flowing through you, man, you're going to feel so good in your, in your heart and you're just going to have a burning in your soul. And you're going to say, wow, this is cool. Why was I so afraid of doing this before? The first time is really hard. 
to talk about the Lord. First time. I don't know why it is. It's just our nature because we're, see, we think that people, when, they were, when we talk to them about the Lord, we feel like they're rejecting us. And we all try to live at peace with all men. We want and we're supposed to do that. That's what the Bible says. And so we said, well, man, they're not really interested in God anyway. But see, that's not up to us to know because some of the people that we think are the least interested in God are the ones that get saved first. And that's the amazing thing about it. Because we don't know. Only God can see someone's heart. Sometimes the most gruff person and the, and the roughest personalities that, that we face in this world, they're the ones that have the least, more, most conflict in their heart. And it's because of the unhappiness and the, and the lack of peace in their heart that they are that way. So if we provide them with an opportunity to meet God, then it's, it's something they're looking for. They may not know it, but, then, but God will open the door if we're willing to. So we need to have a, rely on him to be able to do that. <clears throat> to share our faith with others, we need to see the urgency of it. Now, we are just too passive about our faith. That's the reality. We're so afraid of offending someone that we don't say anything. But I would rather offend somebody in this life and know that I've done what God asked me to do than have to wonder, you know, if I would have said something to, to that person, would they have accepted him? To live with the what-ifs or the regrets of not being talking to somebody. Those are hard things to live with. But if we take the opportunities that God presents to us, then we'll be able to uh, reach people for the Lord and we have to act like it's an urgency. See, we don't think it's an urgency in our heart. We think, oh, we have our whole lifetime to be able to talk to somebody. Well, we don't know that. How many times have you, have you uh, heard, got a phone call about somebody that just passed away? Man, you just talked to them the other day or all kinds of things. Like How many times have those situations happened? Once is too many. I think, well, man, I wish I had an opportunity to talk to him, or I wish this, I wish that, I wish this. Well, if we have an urgency in our heart about it, we don't know. None of us are guaranteed any days. Well, I'm not guaranteed the rest of this day, and neither are you. I'm not guaranteed next year or next week or tomorrow. All we have is right now and right this moment. And if God has the, opens the opportunity, we need to have the urgency about it. Now, I'm not talking about the, uh, the aggressiveness that chases people away, because there's a difference. If you uh, <clears throat> know that the bridge is out on a road and you know your, your family's going to be coming to visit you and they're going to be taking that road and you know the bridge is out and they don't, guess what? You're going to be calling them. Say, hey, don't take the highway, whatever it is, because the bridge is out. We're going to do that because we don't want them to get caught in that situation. Well, the bridge is out. It's called the bridge from heaven to hell or from earth to heaven. It's out. And until you find... Until a person mends that bridge and Christ is the bridge between heaven and hell, he's the only way we can get into heaven is through Christ. And we need to feel an urgency about that. We need to make sure that they understand that, hey, this life has no guarantees. Without forcing it down their throat and without beating them over the head with it, 2 Corinthians uh, 5.20 says, We implore you on Christ's behalf. Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Implore you. That's, a, that's almost like, I beg you. I'm pleading with you. It's an urgency about that. And we need to have that urgency. Uh, they did a survey that said that 95, about 95% of evangelical Christians have never led anyone to the Lord. That's scary. 95% of the people have never led someone to the Lord. And it shouldn't be like that. That tells me that they were too passive. We're so afraid in this 
politically correct world, we're so afraid to talk about the Lord. We're so afraid that, that they may reject us. What, what, if they, what if I say something wrong? What, and we worry about all these things, and we forget there's an urgency there. God's begging, and he's pleading with this world, saying, hey, time is short. We don't have any guarantees, and the bridge is out, and we need to act like we know that the bridge is out. Instead of just walking around our merry little way and say, my four and no more. We're not called just to my four and no more. We're called to the world. And Christ wants us to reach out to the entire world so that they know about him. Romans 10, 15 says, how then can they call on, on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? People hear a lot about religion. There's a lot of religion in this world. And people hear about religion. But it, that isn't what the urgency is about. It isn't about religion. It's about Christ. And it's about him and meeting him and his sacrifice on a cross for our sin. That's what it's about. That's where the urgency is. doesn't matter. Church, isn't a, you know, church is great because it helps you. It gives you a place to worship. It gives you a place to serve. It gives you a place to fellowship with other believers and help strengthen you and a place to be taught and discipled because we're required to teach him too. But religion doesn't, isn't going to get us into heaven. It isn't going to bridge that gap between heaven and earth. It isn't going to. Only Christ will. And <clears throat> we need to see the urgency of it. <clears throat> John Harper was born into a Christian family, May 29, 1872. He became a Christian 13 years later and had already started preaching by age 17. He received training at the Baptist Pioneer Mission in London. And in 1896, he found a church. Not known as Har now known as Harper Memorial Church, which began with 25 worshipers, but now had grown to 500 men and members by the time he left 13 years later. In 1912, Harper, the newly called pastor of Moody Church in Chicago, was traveling on the Titanic with his six-year-old daughter. After the ship struck an iceberg and began to sink, he got Nana into a lifeboat, but apparently made no effort to follow her. Instead, he ran through the ship yelling, women, children, and unsaved into the lifeboats. Survivors report that then he began witnessing to anyone who would listen. He continued preaching even after he had jumped into the water and was clinging to a piece of wreckage. He had already given his life jacket to another man. Harper's final mo moments were recounted four years later at a meeting in Hamilton, Ontario, by a man who said, I am a survivor of the Titanic. When I was drifting alone, alone on a spar that awful night. The tide brought Mr. Harper of Gaslow also on a piece of wreck near me. Man, he said, are you saved? No, I said, I am not, he replied. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The waves bore him away, but strange to say, brought him back a little later and he said, are you saved now? No, I said, I cannot honestly say that I am. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And shortly afterward, he went down, and there, alone in the night, and within two miles of water under me, I believed. I, John Harper, I am John Harper's last convert. Convert. He was also one of the only six picked up out of the water by the lifeboats. The other 1,522, including Harper, were left to die. We need the same urgency that he had. But see, we don't see the urgency of it. We think, well, we have a nice little lifestyle here, and we don't see the urgency of it. But all that can be overturned in a matter of moments. We found that out on 
Thousands of people died in the Twin Towers. Thousands of them. And they didn't know it was going to be like any different any other day. We need to see the urgency because we don't know what the future is going to hold. George Winfield said, Oh, Lord, give me souls or take my soul. Can we pray that? Give me souls or take my soul? Is that a burning desire in our heart to see people come to Christ? If we ever grasp that urgency about salvation and about people coming to God and about their lives being transformed by him, it can be our prayer, or it will be our prayer, because we, we can't help ourselves. We will share our faith with other people because we can't help not doing it. We can't do it. Just like perfume, you, can't, you spray something with perfume, you can't uh, keep the aroma from, from bubbling up. And some people that wear perfume, you can smell them a mile away. <laughs> we can't help it when we have an urgency about it. And if we have that urgency about that this next year, as a church and individuals, this place will be full next year. And next year, when we stand here, we'll have to have these walls will be turned out, <clears throat> tore out, and we'll have to be talking about expanding some more. When we realize that there's an urgency about it, because there's many people die every day, and if, they're, if they haven't got the bridge, if they haven't got Jesus, then they haven't got life. I want to be, share, I want to be urgent about my faith. I want to share Christ with my, the people I know. Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for, for your Son. I thank you for sending Christ to die on a cross for my sin, Lord. Not only my sins, but the sins of everyone in this congregation this morning. Lord, I'm thankful that you bridged that gap between heaven and earth. And I thank you for it. And I thank you for reaching down, Lord, and, and saving me and changing my life, Lord, and filling me with your Holy Spirit. I thank you so much for it. I just ask, Lord, that you'd help each one in this congregation to realize and understand the urgency of the time we live in, that we have no guarantees and we need to be able to get out there and share the faith because there's so many people that are lost, so many people desiring peace in their hearts. There's so many people, Lord, that would love to come to you, but they just don't know how. All they've heard about is religion, Lord. And we know, Lord, you hate religion. You want a relationship with people. You didn't die for a religion, Lord. You died to save us. You died for a relationship that you want and you desire to have with each one of us. And I just pray, Lord, that you'd help us to understand the urgency of that. <clears throat> we'll thank you for it, Lord. Heads bowed, eyes closed.